It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here, as always, with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are bringing a conversation that we think we need to be having right now. Um, we have watched this uh, this cult in our country uh, grow and grow and grow with the idea that um, that you know saving it, it's about child sex trafficking. It's about saving the children. It's about um, you know it's about pedophilia, and and it's it's taken over a lot of the brains of of, of a lot of a lot of folks in this country. Um, there is actually a child marriage issue in this country. If you care about saving the children and stopping child sex trafficking, there is in fact something you can do. Um, We're bringing today Max Robbins, who is the founder and executive director of Students Against Child Marriage, and Donna Pollard, who is herself a child marriage survivor. I want to thank both of you so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely. It's great to be on. Thank you for covering this critical topic. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm sure you guys find yourself in this moment where, like, a lot of the country seems to be focused on the issue of child sex trafficking or, or you know, pedophilia in general, as, as the QAnon cult is, is seeming to focus around that. It, it's, it must be intensely frustrating to watch that attention go to a topic that that you you guys have been working so passionately on, but it's completely divorced from the reality mm-hmm. of of child marriage in this country. So I, I want to start with Max because you actually founded. Uh, you're the executive director of Students Against Child Marriage, so you're you're a young person yourself who learned about the realities of this from reading a New York Times editorial. Talk talk about what drew you to this issue first. Yes. So first, I want to just thank you so much for having us. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, my name is Max Robbins. I am the founder and executive director of Students Against Child Marriage. And we're the nation's only 5-1 fee-free nonprofit that's fighting this abuse through student activism. And so I found, this, uh, found out about this crisis actually from, as you mentioned, the New York Times article about two and a half years ago. And I read this Nicholas Kristof op-ed and was really shocked by what I was reading. And I was shocked that something like this could be happening in the United States, and especially that nobody was aware of it. And so I began researching it in college classrooms as a student and and really was discovering just how problematic this issue was. I discovered that it happens tens of thousands of times every year, that these aren't innocent teenage love stories, but rather young girls being married into men many times their age, and that in most states, guardianship is actually transferred over from the young girl to to their spouse, to the very man abusing them. And so as I learned more and more with this double-edged sword, because on one side I'm learning just how problematic this is, and on the other I'm learning the struggles that advocates were experiencing to make progress. And I really saw the potential of the youth organizer for what students could do if they were getting involved in this space, especially because as students, as, as young people only several years removed from the age of child marriage, uh, of child brides, you know, it made sense that we're very much fighting for our own here. Yeah. 
Help us out with the with the stats, because I think I think there are a lot of people listening who are like child marriage is a problem that happens in other countries. Um, how many states allow it? What is the age of consent? Like, what is the actual lay of the land in America right now? Yeah, so it really depends on the state. So far, it's obviously been treated as a state issue. But the very short of it is that 46 states, you heard that right, 46 <laughs> states allow, completely allow for child marriage. Only four have actually banned it. And those four, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota, they only did so in the past five years. Wow. So when you say child, sorry, Zerlina, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I think that one of the things that I, I'm shocked by is that if you're allowed to get married legally, but what, how does that play into um, statutory rape? If the, if one of the people is underage, I don't, I think yeah, if you're talking about a 14 year old brain, girl and a 30 year old yeah, my guy, legal brain is, is, is confused. The neurons are like sputtering <laughs> out. So I just, I think that's my first question as you were talking is that how does this, how does, how is that legal in a world where statutory rape is, is this, is on the books? Yeah, well, it's very much proven to be the legal loophole in many states for statutory rape. We work with survivors who we've spoken with who were forced into child marriages because they were raped and because they, you know, I, I'm thinking of one survivor right now who we work very closely with who was raped as a 13-year-old and became pregnant and her parents, looking to protect both themselves and their abuser from criminal prosecution, married her off to this rapist, which effectively, in the state that they're married in, provided full legal protection. Wow. Oh. I, I want to turn to, to Donna. Donna Pollard, um, you are actually a survivor of child marriage who has become a, an activist to, to prevent that. Um, can you talk a little bit about about your story and and what what led you to to make this a, a a cause? Sure, absolutely. And again, thank you so much for covering this critical topic. And my name is Donna Pollard, and I am the founder and community enrichment officer for Survivors Corner, which is a nonprofit organization advocating to end child marriage while empowering survivors. And my personal interest in this, as you mentioned, is my own personal history of being a child marriage survivor. I had grown up in an abusive household, and the long and short of it is that because of all the abuse that I had endured and then my father passing away when I was 13, I ended up being admitted to a behavioral health facility for treatment when I was 14. And that, unfortunately, is where I met my perpetrator. He worked at the facility. He was a 29-year-old mental health technician. He knew that I was from a broken home. He knew that I had been abused, and he preyed upon those vulnerabilities. And my mother, herself not being in the best mental state or making good decisions for me, consented to me having, I use quotes when I say a dating relationship with him when I was released from the facility. And that continued until I was 16. And then shortly after I was 16, she consented to me marrying him. Now, because of that, I ended up having to drop out of high school before I even completed the 10th grade. It did not take long at all before he became extremely abusive. And I couldn't even get my own apartment, even though I was working full time 
And, you know, I supposedly was an emancipated minor at the time because of the fact that I was married. That was really meaningless. You know, an apartment complex could not enter into a contract with me. I was also refused shelter at a domestic violence shelter because of the fact that I was underage. And so, you know, as Max had mentioned earlier, the custodianship in some cases gets transferred over to the perpetrator. Well, what about when that perpetrator is an abuser and then that child is essentially entrapped in this life of harm? And, you know, so through being able to finally get away from that situation when I was 19 and then ultimately rebuilding my life, going on to get my GED, getting my bachelor's in business and, you know, starting to work, I realized that I had the power within me to be able to reframe my trauma into purpose. And that's when I started doing this advocacy work. And though we have not eliminated child marriage in the United States, we have effectively created much progress to where the advocacy work that we've done has removed the pregnancy exception in multiple states, and we have established clear criteria that a judge would have to assess before issuing a marriage license, um, which effectively did away with the parental consent uh, exception that you know was really just a form of parental coercion. It feels like if a child needs a legal custodian... If, if a person needs a legal custodian, then then that person is too young to be married. Like that just seems. Right. OK, so talk talk about the 46 states like this seems like such a no brainer. Right. We, we, mm-hmm. we don't marry kids in this country like that is just a thing. Like, I'm sure if you polled America on it, you would have a 95 percent approval rate for your issue. Why? Why is what kind of of obstacles do you meet with when you try to improve laws? On why have only four states recently been like, oh crap, we have this on the books, we got to fix that? Like, what what? Why just those four states? Well, I think it's multifaceted. You know, for one thing, we live in this culture where where people truly believe that parents only want what's best for their children. And so the issue of parental rights comes up. And, you know, if we take a step back and we look at the bigger picture, it's very obvious that that's not necessarily always the case. We have parents that have grown up as child brides themselves or that have experienced great trauma. And then that cycle ends up getting passed along to their children. And so, again, what is initially viewed as parental consent and parental rights ends up being convoluted with parental coercion oftentimes. And then the other side of that is that, you know, we have the majority of people, when they consider child brides, they think that it's a Romeo and Juliet type situation where mm-hmm. it's two 16-year-olds that have fallen in love and, you know, maybe there's a pregnancy involved. And so, you know, that's the type of scenario that people don't want to step away from. But the reality is over 85% of child marriages are occurring between a minor and an adult. And the majority of those cases, the adult is 21 years of age or older, meaning that they truly have fully established enumerated rights versus this child that simply does not. Yeah. The other question I have is, you know, 
you mentioned that in, in some instances, um, if there's a pregnancy or to almost cover up um, a statutory rape, um, you know, mm-hmm. parents are consenting because that's required in some states. I, I feel like, you know, if the legal guardianship in, in, in some of these cases is transferred over to the spouse, how does how does the child get out of the marriage potentially? Mm-hmm. Right. Because if they're if their guardianship is in the hands of the spouse, they have to go to the spouse that they're married to the adult that the child is married to, to get out, to divorce them. Like they, how, mm-hmm. so does that, I mean, in some states, it seems to me when you put that together, they can't, they're stuck legally. Right, right. And, you know, that's one of the things that we have been making progress on, although, you know, with that said, the progress that we're making to actually give meaningful uh, meaning to being an emancipated minor, you know, and, and having that mean that the minor would have legal protections to be able to advocate for themselves. That's not true in every state. It's true in some, but not every state. So you're correct. There are some states in which a minor has no legal recourse against their spouse because of their underage status. Now, I will say that for any listeners that may currently be facing a forced or coerced marriage as a minor, there are organizations that provide pro bono legal representation. The Tahere Justice Center is one of them, and they're a phenomenal partner of ours. I highly recommend anybody that is going through something like this or knows of someone who is, contact the Tahere Justice Center because they work across the nation to protect children from these horrendous crimes. I, I want to ask Max, have you, have you had any, have you tried, and have you had any traction with some of the new sort of QAnon legislators that we have elected? Like if their whole thing is child sex trafficking and you're saying, hey, we actually have laws on, this, uh, on the books in 46 states that allow for that, basically, that seems like a good place to put your efforts. Have, have you tried getting them or is that, is that not a part of, of, of something that seems doable to, to you? We haven't tried too deliberately as most of this advocacy movement has kind of avoided them, especially because, yeah. you know, child marriage has very fortunately not been sucked up into those head spaces as much as human trafficking, which is just as problematic of an issue has. And child, you know, child marriage is human trafficking. And so that's a very upsetting thing of way, the way these movements have been co-opted a little bit. And sometimes there's a worry just that we don't want to politicize this too much. We're talking yeah. about human rights abuse. We're talking about, as you mentioned, something that when polled, about 95% at least of the populace is going to get behind and something that's really no-brainer. At the end of the day, the only reason that people aren't acting, that rather legislators and lawmakers aren't acting on this legislation is because they get behind it, but they view it as a low priority. It's, it's low on the on the legislative totem pole, and all too often it's not put up for a vote. And so we worry sometimes, of, especially involving some individuals who might be more prone to, to possible mistruths, of really sticking to the facts about this issue. You know, the facts alone that Donna was presenting, they are so, so moving and, and don't need to be, uh, you know, bolstered you know, whatsoever. <laughs> Right. Right. It must be 
it, it must be frustrating to try to raise awareness of an issue when awareness of a non-issue can, can co-opt the, the, this, exactly. this space here. Yeah, no, I appreciate I appreciate your your desire to stick to facts. I think that's how that's how we make progress for the most part. But it's yeah, um, yeah that's got to be that's got to be a lot. So what's what's next for you? Like where where do you turn your attention now that we have a new administration and some new legislators? And and let our let our listeners know what they can do um, to help. Yeah, definitely. So Students Against Child Marriage is incredibly proud to have just launched a nationwide campaign calling on the Biden-Harris administration to act to end child marriage. Now, for a very long time, child marriage reform legislation, that's been a state issue, and it's going to continue to be a state issue. Now, our organization has decided that from the publicity that, that we can raise about this issue, because, you know, as I mentioned, this is just viewed as a low priority. It's viewed as low on the totem pole, and that can be changed if and only if this is made a household name. And so what we're doing is calling on the Biden-Harris administration to immediately act to end this, whether that's by a show of support and insistence of the administration for states to act, which simply wasn't something that we really expected to be possible with the Trump administration. And in doing so, we're hoping especially that this advocacy, whether it materializes on the federal level, which would be incredible, or more likely trickles down to the state level, which is something we've already seen happening. We launched this campaign on Monday as a still relatively new half-year-old organization, but really picked up some incredible momentum. We had very high-followed individuals ranging from Mark Ruffalo to Chelsea Handler sharing our posts. We received over 5,000 signatures on a petition in just one day. And an email campaign we launched sent over 30,000 emails to lawmakers across the country. And we're already seeing the results and the rewards of what that's looked like. We're even trying to change the laws in South Carolina ever since we formed. And we did that because other advocates had begun backing out of the state after some progress was made, but it didn't go all the way. And but because of the emails that our supporters were sending out on Monday, the South Carolina attorney general, very high ranking official in the state, is now interested in moving forward on this action. And that's so, so important. And so anybody listening on this call right now, I really implore to check out our website studentsagainst.org, to read about this issue, to read survivor stories like Donathan, these incredible, incredible women, and to take action immediately, whether it's just signing a petition, whether it's donating, whether it's getting involved, and whether it's spreading the word, it goes so, so far, and it's the only way we can end this modern American crisis. Max Robbins, uh, thank you for reading that article and deciding that you were going to do something about it. Uh, and thank you for joining us this morning. And Donna Pollard, uh, your, your, your bravery is, um, uh, it's, it's really astounding. Um, thank you for being here and sharing your story and turning that story into advocacy. We really appreciate you both uh, illuminating you this so issue much. for us. Absolutely. Thank you yeah, all very thank much. Thank you so much for having us. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.